This episode of Data Protection Breakfast Club was produced by TechGC on Wednesday, March 2nd. TechGC is a private, invitation-only community for general counsels. And now, Andy and Pedro. We're back with the show here, and we got fancy mics and headsets. Thanks yeah, to Tech, dude, we Tech got GC. fancy mics and cameras and shit. Um, Chris is telling me in the background to talk directly into the fancy mic, so I need to do a better job. But um, I'm happy to be back, man. I feel like we took a long hiatus, holiday break. I really, I really, I missed you. <laughs> yeah, same, man. Same, yeah, man. A lot has happened in the last few months, like just out in the world, obviously, that you you know, Ukraine situation is a big deal. Yeah. The, the big COVID wave of December, it got me. I definitely got sick and I hated it. Um, and I'm vaccinated all the things, but, um, it's just, it was, it was a, it was a strange holiday season. I spent Christmas alone and new year's alone and I need to go out into the world. <laughs> well, we're all looking forward to that. I think, I hope that's, yeah. that's going to happen soon. And, um, you know, our, our, uh, Andrew, our guest said that at the end, he looks forward to seeing people in person. And, uh, you know, I really do too. And, um, yeah, can't like, wait. Andrew was cool, man. Like, I, I, I like that. We're going to put away the, like, sort of like fake presentation of like, here comes the conversation next. We've already had it. We just chatted with Andrew. He's awesome. Um, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. And I think like, you know, if I was a listener to this new episode, I'd be like kind of focusing on two things, how fancy our audio is now, you know, because we're top of the line. But also like Andrew's kind of a young GC who's got yeah. a big role and a lot of responsibility. And I think there are increasingly more and more Andrews, right, that aren't these like seasoned 30 year veterans that become GCs at small companies, but instead are sort of like, you know, fast riser, smart. Um, you know, no nonsense. Uh, I don't know what the right word is like prodigious types, you know, and uh, I think he definitely falls into that category. There, there's some we talk about looking in the mirror. I think it's like a critical piece to especially if you're going to come in kind of as your first their first gig and, and setting that up front. Like when you're talking to the company about joining, like these are the areas that I think I can contribute in on the first day. And, yeah. and this is the plan that I would put into place to do that. And, but here's the help I would need, because I think yeah. if you, if you don't lay that out up front, it's just recipe for much more difficulty. And I think you learn yeah, that totally over time, agree. but I think you're right. Like we're seeing more and more people like, um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the current environment or, or people kind of being more flexible. The role I think of in-house lawyer just generally, right. I think has, uh, has kind of opened up a little bit just in, in a yeah, lot of ways. I think ways. that's right. I, I think that's exactly right. I think companies are realizing they need GC sooner. Um, and I think more companies are being, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like sort of non-traditional or experimental about who they hire for the roles. And, and that's freaking awesome. Yeah. One little, uh, so for some of the folks are going to listen to this and not see it. Um, Andy, your camera sucks. Like it, I, we need, <laughs> let's get you a new camera. I'm excited for the one that's on the way. Um, but my point is I'm wearing a Braves hat um, because I, I don't know if we recorded an episode since the Braves won the World Series. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, like Atlanta, this is like championship town between I, I hate the Georgia Bulldogs, but shout out to Georgia for having a lot of championship <laughs> energy right now. And the Braves, I am a fan. So like it's kind of cool to be in a World Series town. 
Yeah. I respect you wearing a Braves hat because you actually live there. Some of your other affiliations are unrelated to to any place you've ever lived. So I respect uh, some, it. Some of the hats just look cool, but this is me being a homer. So <laughs> nice. like, good stuff. Anyway. Before, before we talk to Andrew quickly, like, uh, what what is, you know, so over the last few months, what's the kind of craziest thing that you've sort of seen, felt, had to deal with, you know, kind of currently going on? What's the biggest thing on your mind? Yeah, I think there's two things on my mind 24-7 right now. Um, uh, SHREMS and the cross-border data transfer issue. I think about that uh, a lot. Obviously, the implications for my company's business are big. I think the implications for the world and just the way the internet works and the way tech companies do their day-to-day across industries, um, you know, the consequences are, are, are significant there, too. And I think we're approaching a decision um, on the case itself and then hopefully... You know, I, I, I'm not too optimistic about what the decision is going to say. So hopefully there's a political decision that either quickly follows or precedes it so that we have, you know, so that the world has, there's a lot of people in the world that has nothing to do with data privacy, like tossing this in there as a another sort of yeah. like, you know, obstacle for just international business just seems like sort of ill-timed. So I hope we reach a decision um, excuse me, some sort of solution soon. So that's one thing. And then uh, thinking with Europe, like, you know, the acceleration of like the DMA and DSA, uh, you know, promulgation process. I'm not an expert on how that works uh, from a legislative perspective. But, you know, uh, just the pace at which that's happening, you know, makes gives me some pause. And, and, and my hope is that we'll ultimately land on language that's sensible and allows for business to flow while we protect consumers and, and, and preserve people's privacy. So we'll see. Those are the two big things. How about you? Uh, maybe more of an existential thing for me is the CEO of TD Ameritrade, where I used to work, used to kind of routinely say in our company meetings, we're just going to control the things that are within our control and do the best job we can do. I keep reminding myself of that because so much is happening like yeah. in the world right now, you know, we have employees impacted by the war. We have, you know, yeah. um, business and economic issues. And, and so, so many things feel out of our control that, you know, I'm constantly reminding myself, like, let's just control what we can control. Step one, then step two, then step three, and not trying to spin scenarios in my head. And so it's, it's maybe a little bit less specific, but, but maybe just a bit of a, it's been on my mind a lot and I think it's, you know, it's driving a lot of what's going on for me. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but like the, the Ukrainian situation is heavy on my heart, obviously. Um, you know, shout out to all victims of war and conflict and, and hopefully peace returns to peace and freedom, uh, return to Ukraine soon. Um, uh, but yeah, there's, I've got personal friends, employees, you know, people's families affected by this and it's terrible, man. Um, the world, the world's kind of in a heavy mode, you yeah. know? And, and like, I think we all got to be there for each other. And, uh, if we sort of approach the future in a humanistic way, I think we, we, we can make some progress. Yeah. You know? Me too. Yeah. All right. We'll tee it up for Andrew. Um, let's do it, man. Here it goes. Let's talk to Andrew. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. Here we are. We're here, man. Finally, it's been a while. Yep, it's been a while. Uh, we're here with our fancy microphones we got now, dude. <laughs> you got a little headset. I got this little boom mic. We're doing it's a, it's good. A real production. Thank you to real thing. <laughs> yeah, Andrew. Like, 
It's I I feel like it's the two. Do people call you Andy or is it just, just Andrew? Just Andrew. Yeah, no, I don't want to see it. All right, well, that would be too confusing. Me and the two Andrews here. Uh, this is this is a good way to kick off our technological podcast revolution. Um, but happy to be back. Yeah, we're back. We took a little time off. Uh, we're Andy we're um, bolstered by Tech GC and Chris Sands, who uh, right. Shout out to Tech GC, man. What a vibe. Big time. Um, yeah. All right. Our guest is Andrew Epstein. He's the GC of Demandbase. Um, thanks for coming. Thanks for being with us. For sure. I know it's a little oh. early in California. It's okay. I, um, I just did the, the baby okay. handoff. So I'm like, I'm nice. ready to go. Yeah. Nice. And well, can we talk about your office? It's like a bunker. I love this. Yes. Yeah, so like, I feel like this is the, all these, you ready for the, you ready for the Ukraine Russian yeah, escalation. Exactly. All these there. books are like, good. are actually my wife's books. And so it like makes me look like a okay. much more like, well, I think Andrew just said he doesn't know I don't, how to read. I don't, like, but I mean. it's, it's much more intimidating. <laughs> right. Like I look really well read when I'm, <laughs> when I'm negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right look at all this knowledge right. behind me like, do you this don't want to mess with negotiation right. tactics that's right that's right and, and i'm in a bunker so i know there's guns on the floor and stuff. So i actually once crazy. was negotiating against a former colleague if i won't say his name and i hadn't seen him in a while and he turned on it over zoom and he collects like old world war ii rifles and they were all oh, wow. pointed like at the camera behind him wow i was like oh, wow man <laughs> That's okay. a that's a that's a good tactic. We have a a third party security consultant that we work with, and he collects samurai swords, and he's got like several swords behind him. Every zoom, I'm like this is Ed. This is very intimidating. <laughs> it's feeling a little bit microaggressiony, dude. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't know. What if I had just never mind. Let's let's yeah. move on. Let's move on. All right, <laughs> uh, Andrew. Let's do just a little like quick quick backstory first. Like just. Demand base is a uh, marketing data platform, a little bit of ad tech as well. Um, how'd you get there? How'd you join? And in, you were at LiveRamp before, which is a, uh, a company we've had. We've had former LiveRampers on before. Um, Vanessa Wu, who's now the GC at Rippling, who's a mutual friend of all of ours. So how'd you get there? And, uh, and, and we'll start there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got to demand base definitely like from my from my live ramp experience. So I, I started my career in New York doing capital markets work at a, at a big law firm for, you know, a few years. I was, that sounds fun. <laughs> it was fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> I was seconded even more fun. I was seconded to a, uh, to a big kind of investment bank for a little while doing work there oh, wow. on their capital markets, ECM desk. Yeah. And I was there for about five years and I, decided that this is just not the path that I wanted to go down. I'm originally from LA, I wanted to get back to the West Coast. And so I was looking actually to transfer within, uh, I was in O'Melveny, within O'Melveny, who's a big kind of LA presence. And also kind of like looking in-house, found the live ramp big, did not know ad tech. I had to literally Google what is ad tech before like doing my first. Off to a good start. <laughs> Off to a good start. Uh, before going into one of the most complex technical areas you could go yeah, into. I hope Vanessa like that now she's probably going to know that um, but yeah so I, you know I, I did a lot of research I went through the interview process I was the second lawyer hired under Vanessa there when, when LiveRump was the subsidiary of Axiom and got the opportunity to work with her and she's just a tremendous mentor and leader and just a really really impressive lawyer taught me a ton and we worked together for a few years and she ended up leaving around the time that we sold Axiom. Um, and so I was kind of leaving that transaction for the legal side. 
and learned a lot more then and, and spent the next three years leading the, the U.S. mostly commercial team um, and was doing it, was there for about five years and decided, you know, I wanted to uh, wanted to take the next step and, and uh, had some contacts over at demand base, similar ish space, but, you know, different products, new area. And, and I've been here for six months. Um, so six months. Yeah. It's a long time in the ad tech space, as I'm sure you've already learned. <laughs> well, we were a yeah. we were a 350 person company, and then we acquired two companies right before I started. Now we're an 800 person company. Um, wow! So it's been a it's been a wild wild ride, a wild six months. A lot of it has just been like figuring out processes and implementation on a, a much bigger scale now, because right. overnight we you know we doubled in size. So it's like how do we actually? Yeah how do we build into this bigger company that we, this more mature kind of company that we want to be? What, like the ad tech stuff, as Andy mentioned, is like so complicated and so sort of like, you know, it's got a lot of moving parts, but you're a GC now, right? Like this is, so you've got to deal with, like me and Andy talk about it all the time, especially when other GCs come on, like you got to do like the employment law issue and the like facilities issue and the real estate issue. And the ad tech stuff in some, you know, you got to at least know what's going on. That's hard, man. So like, how do you, how are you balancing all of that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, like, I think that's the biggest, like certainly like the biggest change from the role I was doing before to the role now. And it's actually what I think is the most interesting. Like I, I know how to run a really like solid, efficient commercial team. And so like I was lucky that yeah. when I came in, there was someone here, a lawyer here at the base who'd been here for a number of years and he's leading kind of the commercial function. So I'm helping kind of, frame it, but I'm not spending, you know, a ton of time there. So I have the opportunity to go and lean in on these other areas, um, you know, where, where I have the opportunity to make more of an impact like employment, uh, you know, litigation, um, and then just kind of like other deal work as well. So that's been, that's been really interesting. Issues are really interesting. Um, and I'm just tapping, like, you know, tech GC, texting Vanessa, texting friends, talking to Andy, like, what would you do in this situation? Um, and so like, I'm just trying to like, really build out my network and learn in that way. And then obviously we have, we have good outside counsel who I lean on when I need to. How are you feeling about cross-border data transfers in Europe right now? <laughs> um, this is fucking rapid right, fire, I man. I'm coming for everybody. Right, <laughs> right in. Um, yeah. <laughs> How are we feeling about that? Ariana, what's going to happen? I, I don't know. I, I think it's like a really, you know, I, I think I was talking to Andy a little bit about this. Like, I, like, I don't know if there's a, a right way here. And I think you have to take an approach. You have to understand, okay, here's where I think we're going to lead. It's not, we're not going to not be in Europe, which is basically how they're trying to frame this for us. Like that's not an, that's not an outcome that's workable. So what's a, what's an outcome that we think is kind of like the best case scenario for us to actually run our business. And I think coming from live ramp, which is B2B2C really, right? Like now at demand base, we're, we're B2B. I think we have an opportunity somewhat to see like what the B2C market is doing, but we shouldn't be back on our heels saying, let's wait and see too much. Like we need to take a position and an approach because regulations and, and changes are coming to the B2B market for sure. They're lagging in B2C, but they're coming for sure. And so we need to be ready for them. You watched the State of the Union last night? I watched a little bit of it. Um, and my daughter was really into standing up and clapping. Uh, first of all, she's like, she's like, she's in a state. Was she party neutral? Was she just like clapping at all times? No. So she's, so she, first of all, she's like 100% wearing a tutu at all times. She's two and a half. Nice. 
So, nice. Uh, Good for her, man. Yeah, she was like watching <laughs> Biden speak. And then every time uh, Pelosi and Kamala stood up to clap, she stood up to clap every time they sat back down. Like if they were just clapping seated, she would just be seated. Clapping. Come on, Dad, let's get up and clap. <laughs> That's good. You know, uh, they showed McConnell and I'm like, oh, no, we don't. We don't clap for McConnell. No. Like, <laughs> all right. All right. She's done all right. The, the crazy part of this story is she's 35. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, want, I wanted to but, talk um, to you. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you have a question, Pedro? No, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, man. I wanted to talk to you about one one aspect. And um, you you landed the GC role at a, at a pretty young age. And I, yeah. I that's personal to me, too, because... I made this like internal goal to myself to get that before 40 and I got it at 39. <laughs> I snuck in there and you, you got it sooner. And I'm really like, I'm really pumped for you that that happened. Like, how did you, obviously you had a big role at live ramp, but how did you like position yourself for that, that next step? Cause you know, like I had trouble with that. There are areas like Pedro mentioned, like I just do not there are, there are holes, right? And you need to be able to confidently say how you're going to fill those holes and, and get the, how, how get the confidence there to go do it. Yeah. Like, it's a really good question. Like I, so a couple of things, like one is I, I was, and I really appreciate the man base for this. Like I was, I was very transparent with what I do well and what I need help, what I will need help with and how I plan to build a team. And so I, I think one of my skills is, is team building. And so like I came in and I said, look, this is the picture that I see now and this is what we're going to need. But for example, coming from live ramp, um, we had a, we had a privacy team that did not roll into the, to, uh, my org. Right. So we worked really, really closely with privacy. Um, but I didn't hold myself out to be a, and I know this is a privacy center podcast, but like I didn't hold myself out to be a privacy expert. So I said, like, I, I have a lot of opinions on this stuff. But we need to come in and we need we need to make an AGC hire right away who is solely dedicated to privacy so that we can be on the forefront of everything that's changing. We need to, um, you know, we need to be able to figure out what our outside counsel uh, network looks like from an employment perspective because I don't have an employment background and I want to learn that stuff and lean in more, but it's not my expertise. I think the reality is, is, is like I ran most of M&A on the legal side for live ramp. I, I did all the commercial. Like I said, I, I had a capital markets background. So I kind of knew how to approach sort of the future and, and, and looking into kind of raising money or, or, you know, markets, et cetera. But, um, there's definitely holes. And I think you have to be transparent about what you don't know. And then you have to be willing to learn and also tap into a network of folks and understand how am I going to build out a team underneath me that is going to be, um, is going to supplement the skills that I don't necessarily, that I'm not necessarily an expert in and then allow them to go and, uh, and have the freedom to kind of like empower them to make those calls and feel like, look, I, I have your back, but you are the expert in this privacy space. This is my opinion. This is where I think we should be. How do you feel about it? Okay. This is how you want to run with this. Great. I, I have your back. Let me help clear the way for you on that. That's a huge thing. Like that look in the mirror, kind of like that theme of looking in the mirror about yourself and what you can do and where you need help. I'm curious, Pedro, from, from your perspective in building a policy team, is that, yeah, I'd imagine a similar approach to that. Yeah. I mean, I think the like advantage, I guess I have is that I'm 
like there's a subject matter expertise I'm hiring for. And I, I hate to sound like a dirtbag, but I have it. Right. And so I can vet the subject matter expertise pretty well. I think the position you and Andrew are in is a little different because you can only go so far in understanding like, I don't know, an employment outside counsel's like proficiency uh, without having to like trust on other sources. Like I don't really have to, I mean, obviously I want feedback from as many smart people as I can about who I hire, but like at the end of the day, like I, I got an eye and ear test for like what you're saying substantively and I can sort of decide for myself if it meets the threshold that I want for that specific role um, because I've got like the experience and the knowledge in the area. So I have that benefit. Um, I do think it like, you know, I'm not a GC. I don't really have massive aspirations to be one. I, I you know, if, the cool, if a cool opportunity came down, uh, down the pike, I'd, I'd look at it. But um, uh, I guess the bad part about being kind of, I don't want to say niche, but being like super focused in one substantive area is you lose that like versatility a little bit, right? Like I, I become more detached from areas of practice and subject matter that I'm not like ever involved in. Like I've never involved in, you know, I don't know, capital markets law i don't even know what that is so like you know it sounds cool yeah good stuff cool. but like i don't know what that means you know i don't know anything about tax law you know i feel like gcs need to have some working knowledge yeah. right like or, or at least like be able to discern who has the proficiency so that's, that's really sort of that's like really the key thing. you noted the latter piece which is like where am i where am i where do i have gaps where do i have holes and for us um a bit of a smaller company than Andrew's in right now. Like we have to tap outside counsel. And then for me, right. be curious to hear from Andrew. Like I've had to test and learn a lot. Like just who, who do I like and just work with them. Like, so your example of employment law is perfect, Pedro. Like luckily Beth on my team knows a lot more about employment law than I do. And, and that was a good hire on that front, but we still need outside counsel. Like there are still things in other States and other, other countries. Like we have no idea. And so I've had to really like test and learn and have not great experiences and have some much better ones. And then it ultimately just comes down to like, I think like it does with most outside counsel, like, uh, the vibe you are you feeling it with them are you on the same wavelength um andrew is that your what's your take there yeah i think that's right like i think you you have to start building out your rolodex early and you got to test them and say like are, is this the right person and you have to be able to continue to challenge the people who are are brought to you so, you know in some cases for us we've been a company for really you know for quite some time we had used employment council before i still went out and i asked Vanessa, I asked, I think you, I asked others, like, who do you use for employment? Can you give me their names? And then I interviewed them. I did the same thing. One of the first things I did is kind of did a reset on our U.S. outside privacy council and interviewed four or five different people. And I had worked with people, you know, different firms at LiveRamp, but it wasn't just like, I'm going to bring over the LiveRamp person. In fact, we didn't bring over the LiveRamp person. I, I wanted someone new and, um, and I asked Andy, like, who do you use? I asked someone else, who do you use? And I interviewed all those people. And I, and I said, here's a scenario we're looking to run. How do you feel about this? What would you, what, what, what are the questions you would ask? How would you implement this? And for me, and I think, you know, it, I'm a very kind of business first. Like that's my view on a lot of this stuff. And so I wanted someone to give me really good practical advice. I think I've, in, I've worked with different councils who said, well, some companies do this and some companies do that and, and, and other companies do this. And so you can kind of, you know, these are the paths. I'm like, okay, well, but what is your recommendation? What, what, what would you like? What, what is, 
you know, the most conservative path? What is the middle road? What is the most aggressive path? What is your recommendation there? It's, I, I don't want to know. It's interesting, I guess, like as a thought exercise to know what everyone else is doing in your client set, but what do you recommend after seeing this? Like that's the value add that you're bringing. It's yeah, and I think that recommendation needs to come. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, like, I think that recommendation also needs to come in the context of your business and your business's values. Like, I don't give a shit about these like broad objectives, theoretical, right. like legal machinations. Like, understand my business, outside counsel person or you know, outside consultant, and then give me advice in context of my business, not just like in context of like whatever the market. Like, I need that perspective too. But like the most important thing you can say is like, here's what everyone's doing. Here's what's best for you or your right. company. And like, it might not be the same thing depending on our business goals, our business, uh, you know, principles, our business alignment, whatever, There's, or our resource. And I think it's so two like, critical vectors. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, like, I'm just going to say there's two critical vectors. <laughs> One vector, Pedro, is business, and the other is yeah. personal. Like, do yeah. they get me? Yeah. Do they get what I want? And this goes to Andrew, your yeah. point about risk and and a topic that we could cover, like, and we could talk about here, like. We ha all the three of us collectively have higher risk appetites, I think, than others and other councils. So you have to align yourself with with outside counsel that can at least like understand where you where you fall there and help you modulate what risks you're taking. And 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 honestly, one that that is a good enough person understands you well enough to be like you're being stupid. This is too That's much right. risk. And we'll tell Don't you that shit. Too. Yeah. Yeah, And we'll tell you, like, P, like, you're going too far, man. And I love, whenever I hear that, even if I'm, like, entrenched in my point of view, I'm like, damn, I can trust this person, to, yeah. you know, check me when I need to be checked. Uh, but to the point both of you made about, like, uh, personality and vibe checks, like, I totally agree that's super important. You want to work with people you like and get along with and, like, sort of just pass the general vibe check. There's a trap in there, too, though, uh, that's worth noting. And I think about this a lot during hiring, which is, you know, for me, it's very easy to, like, really hit it off with someone and sort of like build a bias around their abilities, even though they might not actually be a good fit for the role and vice versa, right? Like someone who maybe like, I don't want to use the word personality wise, but like we maybe didn't have the best interview because of some social interaction that was a little different than I'm used to. And then sort of write that person off. I don't think that's good because like my team's big, right? And like, I want all sorts of diversity on the team. I don't just mean like the traditional sense of how we use that word, but even like people's approach and demeanor and like just kind of angle of attack, as long as it's thorough, like robust, um, you know, the substantive uh, depth is there. I think we got to be open to sometimes being willing to work with folks that maybe aren't instant hits, right? Love at first sight types, because some of the best professional relationships I have are with people that they see us together. And like, what the hell? Those two don't make any sense, like being like super partnered up on something. But because, you know, we've built a relationship over time and trust over time, we just like rock it out. I think that's 100% right. I think, I think actually going even further than that, like, again, how do you build, like, what are you looking at? How do you build a team? Like, you should look in the mirror. Like Andy said, like, what are, what are the skills that I have? How do I like carry myself as a, as a lawyer? What don't I have? Like, what do I need to add? So you should be adding folks who complement that for sure. Like, and that means that they're not always going to be your people, like you said, like who you're hanging out with all the time. Like, that's not the role. Like, and it's great that you're, that I hope that you are able to lead and build friendships amongst your team and connect on other ways, but it's not like we're very similar in this way. So let's, let me hire this person or let me even internally or for an external counsel, right? Like, in fact, we have someone who is way more conservative than I am from an external, uh, as an external counsel. And I, I really like working with her because I'm like, great. 
again, you're not giving me like, what is this company doing? What does that company do? You're saying like, this is what you should do. And then I can challenge that. It's like, but why, what, what, if we wanted to like peel back a layer there, how would we do it? But like getting that look around the, the corner, there was someone on my former team who was always, um, who was always like, have you thought about this and that 10 issues that I had, you know, never thought of. And nine of them were usually like not a big deal or, you know, 49 out of 50 were not a big deal. But one of them was like, Oh wow, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Thanks for raising it. And it's just like having that person gut check to you is actually really, really important. Yeah. I, so I love that, man. <laughs> True. Yeah. I, I love that, man. Let me ask you both something that's been on my mind last couple of weeks. Um, you know, it, it's like a, what is it? Um, uh, employees market? I don't know, whatever, like some uh, job searchers yeah. market, I guess. And there's a lot of competition right now. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talent out there looking for new things to do. As you guys hire and grow your teams, like how much is like the sort of like temperature and climate out there for hiring affecting your decisions like or at all? I'm just interested in what you're seeing. I'll, I'll share mine after. Um, I think it's affecting our company across the board. Um, yeah. We're having to focus you know, significantly on retention, um, like even more than before. Um, it's kind of always been, at least the last few years, I would say, have been like a, a job seekers market, certainly in tech, I think. Um, we've had to focus on that a lot more. And I think that's a really a good outcome, to be honest. And we've had to... to think deeply about what we're doing for people personally, some of the benefits we're giving them with everybody working remotely, like, you know, the little things, the little things matter a lot. So, um, stipends and, and, and all the, the, um, reimbursements to set up your home office exactly how you want. So you can really be comfortable and work and, um, allowing people to get together under certain, certain circumstances, like those little things have, have tended to matter a lot more for our company across the board. For me personally, I don't think it's changed much in terms of like what I'm, what we're looking for when we hire. I think we kind of covered all of that stuff. And um, I just think if you're looking for certain, certain skill sets, um, there's, there's a flooding of talent right now. I just think, I don't know, it's a hot market. I think it hasn't, hasn't like, I don't think it's going to cool off. I think it's going to keep getting hotter. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think like, we're having to think, and these are conversations that we're having. And I think this is good. Like these are conversations we're having in East Africa. Like, what are we doing for retention? Are we doing enough for retention? How are we, um, you know, how are we thinking about our the employee base? And like, people are companies are pushing the envelope. Like companies are going to a four day work week. Companies are doing you know two full week shutdowns. Like these are things that um, it's catching the attention of the market. Like these are these are retention decisions too. Like, you know, Hey, I want to work for this company, but the company I'm coming from does every other Friday off. Like how, how do you feel about that? You know, these are, and, and candidates are not afraid to kind of ask those questions, which is, yeah. it's different. Like, and that's, it's cool. I think it's, it's challenging us as kind of leaders in an organization to think creatively about how, about our employee base. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I work at Meta. I really love like, where the company I'm at is headed in this regard of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg in a few weeks ago in some like a Q and a talked about like, 
you know, I don't, I, I don't want to misquote him, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, being a distributed company first and thinking about ourselves that way. Um, I come from Salesforce, which owns Slack, which has always kind of approached things that way. And I think Salesforce is embracing some of the the Slack ethos on that stuff. Um, but you know, for me personally, I'll tell you, like, I don't think I'll ever work at a place that makes me drive somewhere five days a week. Again, I'm 40 years old. I think the rest of my career, however long that is, that's not going to happen. And for me, it's because like no place of work can offer me what like my house offers me. Like I'm barefoot right now, man. Like, let's get real. Um, you know, and like my dog is here and, you know, like I can eat whatever I want. It's my own refrigerator, it's my own stuff. Like that kind of those kind of benefits to me are priceless. Now, having the like flexibility for people with different personality types and different preferences to operate and work at their optimal, I think is cool, man. And so companies that lead in that way, which is like, you like, you like coming to the office, we're going to build a really cool office and you can come. You like work from home, we're going to put in a lot of resources towards infrastructure so that you feel like you're part of the company. Um, you want to work on the go, we'll figure that out too. I think that's the future. All that said, this isn't cheap to do, right? Like the salary wars aren't cheap. The benefits and perks aren't cheap. Um, it, in some ways, like a, a hybrid workforce is harder than all distributed or all on site. And so there's a cost associated here. And like ultimately that cost, somebody's got to bear the brunt of it. Um, and the, like me at a macro level across all industries, I worry that like it's one of the contributors to increase prices and increase costs. Right. Um, it's sort of like this new way of doing work. At the end of the day, I'm sort of like, so be it, because like it's about human beings, right? Like, um, and like happy employees, you almost always equals happy customers. Um, so everybody sort of wins. But I do think there's like a higher economic cost to doing it all this way, even though I think it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, and I think like one thing that you mentioned, which is I think setting the economic cost aside for a second, like one of the most challenging things for me six months into this company, obviously I started in the middle of the pandemic. Everyone, I, I had the opportunity to meet, you know, we've had a couple of staff offsites when before Omicron, before Delta, and uh, had one in-person board meeting, but they're just like knowing people at the company. Like, you know, it's really hard to get to know people over Zoom. I actually don't, I feel like I'm not really my true self over Zoom. I, I kind of want to get in. I want to have my meeting. I want to get out. Like, I don't want to, if you're in a group of five, you don't want four other people listening to you while you're communicating with one person and trying to get to know them. You don't want to have a Zoom happy hour. So like, it's, and, and I felt that, so I was just at, at Live Ramp, just finished their ramp up concert uh, conference over the last two days. And so they actually did a really cool thing, which is vaccination and boosted and you get tested. So like, it felt like everyone there had been tested. Everyone there was vaccinated and boosted. You felt like, okay, this is, it was the most kind of like normal quote unquote that I felt. And, and I saw a bunch of people who I used to work with who have gone to different companies or maybe are still there. And, and they really, like, we knew each other. We know each other. We're in the offices together. We've gotten to know each other. And so like trying to model that in a hybrid model, because I agree with you, Pedro, like I, I'm not going to go to the office five days a week. It's been amazing for me being at home in particular, being with my daughter. She was born, you know, like when the pandemic started, I've been able to watch her grow up. It's been awesome. Exactly. But I do miss like, how are we going to coordinate? Okay. Sales and legal, you come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Then we know like, like these are the days that, that, you know, we're going to interact product and engineering. Maybe you come in Thursdays and Mondays because those like, which groups are going to come in when, how are we going to do that? How are we going to communicate it? Is it via Slack? Is it via email? Like how do you, how are we going to organize ourselves so that we can build those relationships and get to know people? It's just too hard to do it sitting in my own office, in my own house. Yeah. 
it's hard because you're missing those little moments, the little moments of fun, the little moments of bumping into someone and being like, oh, what, you know, what coffee are you drinking? Do you you want to go to Starbucks? Like any, any little thing like that is really hard to recreate. So we're having to rethink that and reimagine it. And I think like Slack has been really key for that, which is, which is an interesting thing that I didn't expect necessarily, but whatever your chat functionality is. Yeah. I think I think there's look. I, I agree with you guys on these like you know special vignette moments at the office and not being possible <laughs> through Zoom. And sounds, but like some like of those, yeah, so, yeah. Some of that nostalgia is a little you know is not always super inclusive, man. Like you know, like if you're the only black person in the office, that sucks. And like being at Zoom, you know, doing the Zoom sort of like equalize is a grand equalizer for some people. Um, and so I think there's like pros and cons on yeah. both sides, and like we'll figure it out over time as long as we're inclusive about what we do as we decide how we work going forward i think the end result will be better but you know i think you nailed it andy like sure i don't have the opportunity to like bump into somebody in the hall and be like let's go grab coffee and i do miss that too but you know when i was at salesforce i started a chat group and i don't remember exactly what i called it but it was like uh kiddos and pets right and it started with like 10 or 15 of us and then it grew to a couple hundred people and I can tell you what's never going to happen in the office. I'm not going to see your kids and I'm not going to see your dog or your plants or your cats. And we had this awesome like chat thread or channel that like yeah. turned into this new way to bond around people. And like I have a Hungarian Vizsla. So I saw that other people had these types of dogs. And so we build, you know, these connections that at the office maybe don't even come up. Right. Um, so there's we as long as we're creative and like I, I think you're both right. Like we're building towards a hybrid model. People have different preferences. If we approach it creatively and inclusively, the future's better. I'd sort of my yeah, and that's and that's last last yeah. Go ahead. I think like the last thing on that is like it's not just we need to make sure that we're communicating in a in a quote unquote hybrid way. So like if if I have a team of ten and five people are in the office and five people are at home, like right. how are we going to do it so we're not sitting around the table and the five of us who are in the office are talking to each other and there's just a screen over here and people are listening because that's what it was like before or they were on a conference call and they like didn't really know who was speaking. So like we got. I have the answer for that specific problem, by the way, because I've been remote for many yeah. years. I've been this is my eighth year being remote. And when I got a big enough team, I realized that exact dynamic because I'm not in the office. There's a conference room with 11 people and there's like sidebarring and then there's another conference. So every other team meeting, I would ask everyone to take the call from their desk, even if they were in the office. And boom, you have now just equalized the whole right. thing um, and still allowed like alternatively for them to get together and meet. So that's one way, at least that worked for me there might be others yeah. but that was no that that's was smart because other love their alternative i've heard is like everyone has their computer on in the same room but then it's like echoes and this and that like the technology's always fucked you know like it's like that's never gonna work stupid all right we're 80s theme podcast so what what's your favorite movie or show from the 80s so i was i was really worried that you were gonna ask me this question before i <laughs> <laughs> worried yeah i told you i know i texted you that i was gonna be prepared but i mean I was born in 1986, so like, <laughs> so like, I don't have a. All right, Dude, you were born in 1986. Yeah, yeah. so old, you can do the 90s too if you want, but I mean, like, there's definitely shows that span, right? That span both, like Ninja Turtles. That was like an that was. Oh, that's, that's 80s. You're good. Yeah, you're good. Like, there's I think there's like some late 80s yeah. in there. I really like Doug, I but I think that's like a 90s. You know, like. Doug, I think is '90s for sure. Doug is fire. Ninja Turtles. No. Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Let's so this is what I think. I, like I want to, and I'm like I'm not bold enough to do, and I should, but I do think 
I tell people like this would be a really good interview question because I do think it's like quite telling about a person, right? So like if someone's like Michelangelo, right? They're like, Hey, I want to, I'm fun loving and you know, whatever. Or like, I want to be that. Oh, you, it's Leonardo. Like you're the leader. You want to, you're a Enneagram type eight personality, you know, type of person. Like, um, yeah, but I personally, and like, I try, and I think I try to do this more than I am like laid back is I do like Michelangelo. I like the nunchucks. Like, it's a good, you know, I like the orange, but I aspire to be like a, like a Michelangelo laid back person. But if you ask Vanessa or my wife or anyone I've worked with, like I am not as laid back as I like try to, you know, come across. <laughs> you got to get you a skateboard. You skateboard like a, you're not in full deal. if you're not I, So I, I have like a short longboard. Um, nice. Yeah. I, which I've. You like, you like pizza? Are you a pizza guy? I'm not like an Andy pizza guy. I know like he's a. <laughs> You're, you're fucking tip up. top, <laughs> tip top pizza guy. More of like a tacos and sushi guy. Is that okay? <laughs> okay, that, yeah. at the same no, time, like not, not a sushi yeah, taco guy. You know, like not a sushi <laughs> guy, but like sushi or taco. <laughs> Pedro, what's tacos your favorite? What's your favorite '80s show or movie? My my favorite? Yeah, oh, man, it's tough. Like I loved Knight Rider as a kid, like big time. I mean, big time. Um, and I liked. Uh, uh, I probably wasn't shouldn't have been watching this in the eighties, but I watched a lot of Miami Vice with my dad when I was a kid. Big fan, big fan of uh, that show. So those are probably my two like kind of like I don't want to call Knight Rider a serious drama. <laughs> but, but those are kind of my like you know adult. I was probably too young to watch shows as a kid that I really liked. I'll throw one else out there though, because um, I think The Simpsons is an eighties show. I loved it. And oh, yeah. here, oh great, I got one more. I got one more. Oh my god, I'm such I was such a bad kid. I used to sneak around in, when I was a little kid. I had this little black and white TV in the late 80s. I, it must have been like 88 or 89. And my parents would be like getting ready for bed or doing like adult things. And I'd watch Married with Children on Sunday nights. Um, sort of like sneak attack. You know, my parents didn't speak a lot of English, so they didn't really know what I was watching. But Married with Children is, is, is it was ahead of its time. Tough for Al Bundy, though. <laughs> or, like, or behind. <laughs> Yeah. It was really hard for him to find any other roles after that. He was really locked. Well, that's right. He did that one, whatever. The yeah, family that's one true. He was a family. People really like that show. Right. Yeah, he did that one. But yeah, I, I don't I don't think you can like go to the Netflix now and be like, hey, we're going to make a show. That's going to be like a misogynistic dad who's a little racist. And it's like all these gender normative things. But it was a soup. I mean, I don't know, man. I loved Married with Children when I was a kid. I know it's bad. I know it's bad. I know it's poison, but it was good. I was into Simpsons Cheers. Did you guys watch Cheers? Cheers For was sure on re rerun Cheers, yeah. all the time before, as I was falling to sleep in high school. So big, big Cheers fan. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah, catch. I, like I didn't catch Cheers, unfortunately. He's too young. <laughs> that's his way of saying that's lame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll circle back to Cheers. Uh, I'll yeah, circle yeah, back. Do oh, don't do that. <laughs> Don't do it, dude. Don't give me a give me a thirty thousand give me a thirty thousand foot view of Cheers. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't deep, do it. deep dive on Cheers next time. What's up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> All right, Andrew. Thank thanks for coming, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. This has been a Tech GC production. For more information on how to get involved with our community, our events, and our resources please go to techgc.co.